From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Today we talk with living legend Mavis Staples. We talk about her start in gospel music and her role on the front line of the civil rights movement. The songs inspire you. The songs motivate you. Keep on marching. Music is, is a strong weapon. Plus, we'll review Relatives in Descent, the new album from Detroit art rockers Proto Martyr. And we'll remember soul singer Charles Bradley. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And coming up, we've got a review of new music from one of our favorite bands of recent years, Proto Martyr. Not by my own hand. Automatic writing by Phantom Will. Now with my own voice. Plus but first, the inimitable Mavis Staples. Called in Tyler's, bound in jail. Had no money for the go there bail. We spoke with the gospel and soul legend earlier this year, and the interview is one of our favorites ever. No holds barred. Uh, we talked so long, we had to make two episodes out of it, Greg. And part of this, I think, is because of your relationship with her. Uh, you, of course, wrote a fantastic biography of Mavis. The first conversation focused on her upbringing here in Chicago and the staple singer's music, the emergence later on as a solo act. You can hear that conversation at soundopinions.org. Today, we're still talking music with Mavis, but we're looking specifically at the social engagement of, of her with the staple singers and her as a solo artist, something that continues now, and, and it's very inspiring, and you can hear it on her new record uh, coming out soon, If All I Was Was Black. If all I was was black Looking at you you might look past all the love I give. Got love to give. I've got natural gifts. Got natural gifts. Got perspective. Got perspective. Might make your shift. Greg, as I said, you literally wrote the book on Mavis. I'll take you there. It's a fantastic bio. I make my uh, students at Columbia College read it. It's the current selection, you're too modest to tell the world, but I will, <laughs> of the Chicago Public Library's One Book, One Chicago program, which means everybody in Chicago has to read it or you're not allowed to eat a hot dog ever again. Um, it's a tough city. <laughs> it's a tough city. As you detail in the book, activism is not new to Mavis, right? Absolutely, Jim. Uh, in the 50s and 60s, uh, African-American artists toured the South and were literally taking their lives into their own hands uh, doing so uh, because of discrimination down there. Uh, and the Staples singers were unique in that the family, Pop Staples and his daughters, uh, Mavis, Cleotha, Yvonne, and his son, Purvis, uh, were traveling not only to the big cities 
you know, the uh, Memphises of the world and the Mobile Alabamas, but also to the small towns and churches in between. And those were really perilous uh, for uh, young African-Americans to be on the road by themselves traveling through. But they went from town to town, and, and a lot of people to this day have never forgotten it. Now, their father, Pop Staples, was instrumental in showing his kids how to navigate this racially divided country. And we're going to get to all of that, but we need to start with the music they were touring with, God. Question, Mavis. Uh, you know, we forget, we think gospel's always been with us. Mm-hmm. But it was being born here in Chicago, the Reverend Thomas Dorsey. Yes. Um, and I know you admired Mahalia Jackson yes. usually. Yes. And I want to ask about that too. But but was there pushback from the Dorsey School of Gospel? to you guys bringing in all these other elements, blues and country and folk? Well, uh, Thomas A. Dorsey, you would call his gospel spiritual, yeah. or spiritual songs like... Very church. Swing yeah. low and precious Lord, take my hand, precious Lord. Take my hand. Lead me on Let me stand I, I'm tired And, and uh, the gospel, the children of gospel is upbeat, you know mm-hmm. uh, When the saints go marching in, you know <laughs> so, so, but, but believe me Thomas A. Dorsey, he was the leader. Mm-hmm. He was the beginning. You know, I, Pops used to play these big 78 records. And I was a little kid. I'd be in the back room playing with my dolls, and I would hear this. This was the very first lady's voice that I heard. Because he always had the soul stirring, the pilgrim travelers, the nightingales. And then he had this lady come through, and it moved me on up into the living room where Pops was. Mm. And I said, who is that, Daddy? He said, you like her, don't you, Mavis? I said, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and he told me, that's Sister Mahalia Jackson. He would say Sister Mahalia Jackson so much. When I finally met her. You called her sister. Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. <Mrs's> sister. <laughs> I said, hello, Mrs. Sister Mahalia Jackson. Oh, <laughs> you know? man. Yeah, I told her, I said, my name is Mavis. And I sing, too. Mahalia uh, was famously not too uh, kind to what she viewed as the competition out there. She was the queen. She wanted everybody to know it. Yeah. But for some reason, she took a shine to you. She she put her arm around you, and I think there was probably a, a, a big age difference that had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was more like a mentor figure to you. And then there was a famous moment in 69 when you did that gospel festival in New York where Mahaley was obviously on her on her final days, and yes. you helped her out, took the microphone from her, and she handed the microphone to you. It was kind of like that symbolic passing uh-huh. of the torch no one no other singer she would have thought to do that <laughs> with except for you so your relationship with 
Mahalia was very special. I'm, I'm so proud of it, so proud. She, she reached over, she told me, baby, Haley don't feel so good. Everybody called her Haley, she called herself Haley. And she said, I need you to help me sing this song. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'll help you. And, and uh, the girl started playing. I didn't even have to ask her what the name of the song was. I was just, you know, I, being a church girl, I knew what it was. And uh, by the time I finished that first verse, somebody helped her up to the microphone. And there I was mm-hmm. on the same microphone with my idol, my mentor, this great lady, Sister Mahalia Jackson. What was the song? Precious Lord, yeah. Take My Hand. Mm-hmm. Precious Lord. And that was a song that, that Dr. King, that they requested she sing that at Dr. King's funeral. Precious Lord, take my hand. Precious Lord. Yeah, one of the most famous gospel songs ever. Yes, indeed. Um, No, you mentioned Martin Luther King. Another key moment, um, singing these messages, these message songs, you're Pops always wanted the, the word to be important. Yes. Uh, meeting Martin Luther King oh, was, was yes. a key moment for, for, for you as a, as a group, as it a was, family. It was, great. What was he like? Dr. King, you know, he was just pure and humble. You know, just, just to look at him, you would, you would shiver, you know, because this man was just, he was just good, you know. We, he, Pops heard him first. We didn't know him. And Pops told us about him. Pops called us to his room one Sunday morning. We're in Montgomery, Alabama. Didn't have to sing until 8 o'clock that night. So Daddy called us. He said, listen, y'all, this man Martin is here, Martin Luther King, and he has a church here. I would like to go to his 11 o'clock service. Do y'all want to go? We said, yeah, Daddy, we want to go. We all get in the car. We go down to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. We were ushered in and seated. Dr. King acknowledged us. He said, we're glad to have Pop Staples and his daughters here this morning. We hope you enjoy the service. That was when I became aware of Dr. Martin Luther King because me and Yvonne Cleedy, we didn't know who we were going to see. Pops had been listening to him on the radio. And so Dr. King, after the service, he would go to the door and shake the worshippers' hands as they filed out. Well, Pop School, uh, 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 Yvonne Cleedy and I, we shake Dr. King's hand. Then Pops come along, Pops stood there and talked to him for a while. He finally came on, we get back to the hotel, and we in his room talking about Dr. King. He said, listen, y'all, I really like this man. I really like this man's message. And I think that if he can preach it, we can sing it. And that was all we needed. We, we started writing Freedom Song, March Up Freedom's Highway was the first one. And anything we saw happening in the world, we started writing. Pops would tell the, the, the writers, songwriters, they always wanted to write for, Pops said, well look, if you want to write for the Staples, read the headlines. Mm-hmm. What we want to read about, we want to sing about what's happening in the world, and if we see something that's wrong, we want to sing a song and try to fix it. This year we're blind and door closed. 
everybody know We better stop Think what's happened What tomorrow may bring And don't you be so wrapped up Doing your thing Yeah Cause we'll build a world for a child to be A place that people can really say it's free Please, please, won't you listen to me Saturday Just turned three Think about your children Mavis, the, the, uh, the things that you guys were seeing you and your sisters, um, you know, Pops was older. He knew the world, right? But there had to be some stuff in Alabama and Mississippi and the Carolinas in the mid-50s uh, that was disturbing. Oh, yeah. You couldn't stay everywhere. You couldn't eat everywhere. You weren't welcome everywhere. Yes. And and that yes. must have been eye-opening, coming from this tight-knit community and the church community in Chicago mm-hmm. and going to places where I, didn't, I don't know you, but I don't like you because of the color of your skin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and Pops got us ready for that. See, because we we our record hit first in the South, and and that's where we were called to the most, down south. And so, Pops let us know. Now we're going here. We're going down to Mississippi. We're going down to Georgia, Alabama. Everybody, y'all got to know. Everybody is not like the people in Chicago. Everybody don't love you. Mm. The, 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 your color, your skin is different from the, and then he finally just said white people. They, they're prejudiced. They don't like, my grandparents were slaves. He, he would tell us all about, you know, slavery time. And they still wanted to be going mm. down there, you know, so we were ready. You know, it, it was it was heartbreaking. When we would go to a, a hotel and we couldn't stay there, you know, we couldn't stay. We would go to a restaurant. We, we you have to go to the back door if you want to be sir. It was sickening. It, you know, but pops had taught us to be brave mm. and be strong and and know who you are. You know, you they don't have to like you. You love yourself. You know who you are and and. Stay strong, walk tall, you know, and uh, don't let nothing like that get. Just that's where that song come from. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. Yeah. Ain't gonna let nobody do it. Turn me around, turn me around, turn me around. Ain't gonna let nobody do it. Turn me around, keep on a walking, do Keep on a talking, do Marching up to freedom, yeah. Ain't gonna segregation loaded turn me round turn me round turn me round I'm gonna let segregation loaded turn me round and keep on walking yeah ain't gonna let nobody turn me around I know which way I'm headed mm-hmm. and I know I got God on my side that's all I care you know yeah. we, me and Yvonne and Cleta, we see some shoes in the store we want to buy Jackson Mississippi daddy said okay y'all going down there Go on downtown, get your shoes, don't start nothing. <laughs> then in the next breath he say, and don't take nothing either. <laughs> <laughs> so Cleedy was our spokesperson. We go in this store, we see these shoes. Cleedy says, uh, yes, we would like these, see these shoes in three different sizes. And she gave the lady our sizes. She came back with the shoes. And Cleedy said, well, we, we need to try these on. And that's when they get you. Well, no, hon, you, if you want to try them on, 
you have to go behind that curtain over there. And that curtain was an old raggedy croaker sack bag. Mm. You know, you got to go, you can't sit out here. And, and Cleveland said, oh, well, no, we can't take these. And that's when you get, oh, y'all ain't from here, are you? Mm. And Cleveland would say, oh, yes, ma'am, we live here. We've been living here all our life, you know. And uh, we go on back to the whole, uh, actually, it was a home. People would, would, would turn their homes into hotels for black entertainers. Mm. Edward Lee, that was the Edward Lee house where we were staying at Jackson. And every, Dick Salmon Birds, all the black artists, they would have to stay in the, the, the homes that people had prepared for, for black artists. It was rough, but we were happy. We were with our father. When we, when we sang, people liked us. Every once in a while you'd run into a white person who wasn't bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> once in a while, yeah. Every once in a while. So we didn't fault everybody. Oh, but, yeah. but you never got those shoes. Mm -mm. We didn't want those shoes. Definitely. If we had to go behind there to try them on, keep them. Coming up, more from the great Mavis Staples, and we'll review the latest from post-punk outfit Proto-Martyr. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we are talking with the incredible gospel and soul singer Mavis Staples. Now, before the break, Jim, uh, Mavis was telling us about being on the front lines of the civil rights movement as uh, she toured the South in the 1960s with her siblings and father and the Staples singers. And uh, Mavis and her family certainly encountered their fair share of prejudice and segregation along the way. But uh, she did tell us about some small victories of breaking down the color barrier. I, I integrated a washeteria down there in Mississippi. <laughs> I just I just went on. And I had my little bundle. We were visiting my granddaddy in Forest, Mississippi. And uh, while we were standing there, I'd say, I'm washing my clothes. I'd walk up to the, the washeteria, and there's a black side and a white side. Mm. And uh, on the black side, it was full. I couldn't get no no washer. So I walked on over to the white side, put my clothes in, put my 15 cent in, start washing my clothes and sit down. And then the black ladies, they saw, she's sitting in there, ain't nobody about, hit all of them. And then <laughs> one got to my granddaddy's house and told him, Thornton, your grandbaby up there, she done 
integrated at Washingtonia. <laughs> <laughs> That's a story that doesn't get told enough. My friend, you know this old world's in a bad condition. Just the other day, I saw a group of little children trying to ride a school bus. By them being of a different nationality, they weren't allowed to ride the bus. And I imagine if you would ask them about this matter, they would have a word like this to say. So bad. Mavis, I understand you're a person of faith and, and incredible kindness and charisma. Uh, you emerge from experiences like that without feeling hate. Mm-hmm. Um, but your dad, how did Roebuck do it? Because, I mean, if somebody disrespects my daughter, you know, I'm going to get Jersey on them. <laughs> All right? And Greg Cott, too, right? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Somebody, somebody disrespects Katie. They don't matter. We're going to see Cott get angry, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. How did he hold it together? Oh, man. Pops, there were times when we could tell Pops would be so angry, you know, but he'd hold his peace. Mm. And then this 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 one time, uh, uh, Pops and, and Rowan Franklin, we were together sometime. Purvis and Cecil would Purvis have to hold Pops, and Cecil would have to hold Rowan Franklin. Mm. That was Rowan Franklin's Aretha's daddy. They always always these service station guys, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> The gas station. The gas station. I'm driving. I was the night driver. I've driven from um, Jackson, Mississippi to Memphis, 3rd and Union. I'll never forget it. I pulled in this service station. It was a huge service huge service station. I parked on the pump on the corner. Well, the, the office was over that way over. So here comes this tall, young, white boy. Fill it up. I told him, fill it up. After he filled it up, he came for his money. And I asked him, I said, can you wipe the bugs off the windshield? You know, he looked at me for a while, and then he starts slopping around the windshield, got him, and um, then he came for his money again. Hmm. And I asked him for a cash receipt. And what did I do that for? Oh, N-word, hmm. you know, you come over to the office if you want a receipt. And Pop said, pull over there, maybe. See, this this guy, I'm sure he hadn't seen my brother laying on the back seat, mm. covered, you know, because he's going to drive next. He see this man with mink, mixed white hair. Pop had gray hair from 18 years old. <laughs> you know, yeah. he wasn't no old man, you know. And and uh, me and Cleety, so I pulled over there. Pops goes in to get the receipt. I, I know Pops asked him, I'm sure he said, why you talk to, why you call my daughter that name like that? And I saw this boy shaking his finger in there. And when he did that, Pops clocked him. Wow. And he fell back. And, and uh, then he came back and they fought, fought over into the grease part of the service station. And uh, Daddy slipped down. He had a crowbar. I said, Cleetie. Cleetie jumped out of the car and she beat him in the back, you know. <laughs> and, and he got away from Cleetie and I, he ran into his, I knew he was going for a gun. Yeah. And I said, Purvis, Purvis, they're fighting. And Purvis come from under them coats like Superman. Come out of that, come out of that uh, telephone 
boot, boot, and he went up in the air and down on this guy. And that, that scared him and surprised him too, because he didn't know another man was in that car. I'm driving the kid get car, I'm backing up. And he running, I almost ran over him because he slipped down. He was running over to some 18 wheelers. Mm -hmm. He got over to them, they pulled off. They watched the whole thing. Daddy said, drive me, let's drive. All of them was huffing and puffing. I said, Daddy, I don't think I can drive no more. I'm too nervous. He said, Mavis, drive. So I started driving. I get on this bridge and I see these lights. I said, Daddy, there's some lights behind me. Uh, uh, look like it's three cars. He said, keep driving. Get on across the bridge. Get on across the bridge and then stop. I got across the bridge and I stopped. When I stopped, they jumped out of those cars, shotguns, dogs were barking. It was the police. It was the police. Yeah. And, and this guy had told them that we beat him up and didn't pay for our gas, uh, you know. And uh, um, so you, you better stop. He kept calling Pops, boy. Handcuffed Daddy to the, the arm of the car. This boy looked like he wanted to run. And Pops kept telling him, these are my children. We sing gospel music. You can call WTIA. You can call anybody in Memphis, and they'll let you know who we are. And uh, they wouldn't hear that. You know, Juan put the shotgun right on Cleetie because she undo her jeans, you know, when she get in the car and she wanted to pull her jeans up. He said, I told you to keep your... They had us on the highway like this, and cars were zooming past us. I never been so scared in my life. I was scared. I said, Lord, I'm not going to see Mama no more. I just knew they were going to lynch us. They put us in three different cars, in those three different cars, and handcuffed us behind our backs. This may, this may be my last time. This may, this may be my last time, children. This may, this may be my last time. I was never so glad to see a police station. They took us to jail instead of out in the woods, you know. Pops walk into this black man mopping the floor. He said, Papa Staples, <laughs> what you doing here? <laughs> and then he saw us coming. He said, I'm your children. For years after that, we could laugh, but at that moment, it was sad. Chief came out and said, all right, who gonna tell me what, what this was all about? And Pop said, I tell you, sir, you take me to another room. And uh, cause Daddy still didn't want me to hear everything this boy was saying about me. Mm. Chief come out, he, says, he said, you, you, you got a receipt for this gas that the boy said you didn't pay for. Sent Cleety out to get this receipt. Cleety come back with the seat all bloody. Because Pop knocked, knocked some blood out of that dude, a lot of blood. He got him good. Yeah, he got him good. And that boy won't mess with nobody else. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he was a young kid, tall and skinny. Uh, I'll never forget this. Never. So here come Cleetie with the receipt. And that proved that we paid for our gas. And then the, 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 the chief told him, get them handcuffs off them people. Let them people go. And, and, and all the policemen, they want to start joking. 
one. You know, I believe me and my wife saw y'all on the Hootenanny. Mm-hmm. I believe we saw y'all on TV. <laughs> and Purvis said, man, get them handcuffs off my sister. That vein had come out of Purvis' head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you see that vein back up, he's yeah. mad. He's yeah. angry. Yeah. You were a tight-knit group. I mean, and you were traveling through the South, just, just the family in, in Pops' car, mm-hmm. Cadillac. He had a gun. He told me that it, that it would keep just in case. Yeah, in a truck. And, and the poor guy at the gas station didn't realize that Pops was a boxer when he was at uh, <laughs> on, d- growing up on Dockery Farm, right, so he right. knew how to take care of oh, himself. Oh, he could swing, yeah. But, but it could it could have gone the other way. You could have wound up in the woods. Oh please, oh please. and then I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys. Right, that's right, right. It could have wound up the other way. Right. If I hadn't woke, I often think about if I hadn't said Purvis, Purvis. Yeah. If he had gotten into that drawer, because he was going for a gun. Yeah, I would have no daddy. You know. God was looking out for us. Ain't that new? Oh, ain't that new? Oh, carry here. Jesus bled and died. Oh, ain't that new? And uh, the next morning, Pittsburgh Courier, all of y'all had the news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the stable singer beat up white man in Memphis, Tennessee. And my friends would say, Mavis, your family beat up a white man? I said, yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. But but uh, there were times I would see Pops, like you say, has he ever gotten over Mississippi? Th- th- this song, uh, Blowing in the Wind, when we first heard Dylan sing that, Pops said, wait a minute, y'all, listen to what that kid is saying. How many roads must a man walk down? Before you call him a man How, How many roads must a man walk down Before you can call him a man And Pops would tell us stories About when he was in Mississippi If a white man was coming towards him On the same side of the street He had to cross over You were the first group outside of the folk movement to record Dylan's music. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't a super well-known figure at that point, but right. you brought his music to a, a new audience. Blowing in the wind. Blowing in the Blowing wind. In the wind, wind first. Blowing in the okay. wind was first. Amazing version of Masters of War and a number of songs that you recorded of, of yeah. Bob's. Now Masters of War. You feel all the big guns. And you had a friendship with Bob. Uh, yes. He seemed to take a shine to you. That story's been told a few times. Yeah, but, uh, that's such and, a good story. You and Dylan were an item. <laughs> we got to hear it. Talk again. about it a little. Oh, you Bob, ain't got to hear it again. Robert Zimmerman had a crush on you. Yeah, Mavis. well, I turned him down. He wanted to get married. <laughs> and he still talks about it. He, he still, still talks about it. But, but you know, when I was working with him this, this, this past last summer, I proposed to him. About I t- time. Yeah, I proposed, but you know what he told me? Get in line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He got a string of girls waiting, yeah. and I got to get at the end of the line. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you think the reason Pops recognized uh, a similar message and spirit in Dylan's music is, you know, Dylan grows up Jewish, northern Minnesota. He never fits in. Yeah. He's excluded, too. Do you, do you think there was a common ground there? Mm-hmm. He was—I I liked him. 
Mm. I liked his his uh, personality, and he would talk to me. He talked to Yvonne a whole lot more because they <laughs> they were gangsters, you know. And then he and Purvis, they would sit out on the stoop all night with a bottle of wine and talk all night. He was talkative. He was he was friendly, and uh, he was comical, you know. And and so so. I, 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 I really liked him. You know, Dylan's songs are so truthful in the stories that he's telling. He, where this kid come from? He's so young to be writing stuff like this, you know. Uh, uh, I just said it was genius, you know. But, but, but I don't know, had he ever had a hard time like, like Pops did, you know. Uh, but but his songs were sound like they were written for us. Uh, getting serious again for a minute with Dr. King, uh-huh. the role of the staple singers marching with uh, the civil rights movement and Dr. King. Uh, we are in the midst of Black Lives Matter. Get philosophical for us, Mavis. Well, what's the role of music in inspiring people to fight injustice? You know, I I, uh, I watch this news. I watch the news. Uh, 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 sometimes... I, I feel like I'm back in the 60s, you know. And then I wonder, well, 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 music, do we need a song now? Do we need, is this what we need? The the songs helped so much back then, you know. And, and they keep asking me, Mavis, what are you going to do on your next record? You know, and I'd be laying in the bed at night wondering what should I do? Should I go strictly gospel? Should I go protest again, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. This, well, this, back up, you said it helps so much. You're, you're walking down a street into nightclubs that are going to be swung at your head, into dogs that are going to be turned loose at you, into water hose, fire cannon water hoses. Yeah. How did music help you face? I'd have run the other way. <laughs> I don't know if a no, song would have had me marching. The, no, no. The songs, the songs inspire you the songs motivate you the lyrics in the songs that's what that's what is the lyrics what the song is saying keep on marching people get ready there's a train a coming you don't need no ticket you just get on board you know you don't need no ticket for this mm. you just get on board start singing and and that the, as black people that's what takes us over, our song. You know how Africans, African, we went to South Africa, we went to West Africa, and Af- they're always, you know, moving and, and, and music. That, that, I don't know if it's just a black person that, that it happens to, but it keeps us going. Music is, is a strong weapon. Jane Brown started a lot of it too with, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. Bad, sir. 
Music is the answer. So Pops dies in 2000. That's a huge, obviously, a momentous event in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, on, in some ways, after pulling yourself together, and obviously it's a shocking change in your life, it seems like you, you came back with new motivation. And every time I've seen you perform, it's got to be dozens of times now since your father died, you have mentioned his name <laughs> and said, I'm carrying on his work, and he was carrying on Martin Luther King's work. And it's mm-hmm. like this, the circle will not be unbroken. Right. We're going to carry it through. Right. There's still work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it's 50 years later and there's not been a great deal of progress, but making a song like Freedom of Highway, which your father wrote the weeks after the Selma march. Right. You're still performing that today. That's right. And it hasn't lost its relevance. That's right. like anything is shifting at all or do you feel like the next generation is picking up the torch in some ways are artists hearing what you're saying and do you feel like that message will be carried forward yeah you know um i have i have long wanted uh teach youngsters to jump on board you know rappers kids learn rappers song lyrics so quick you know if they had just had something in the lyric that was freedom that was uh, for us, mm-hmm. you know. I am seeing uh, this little kid, uh, Chance the Rapper. I made it through, made it through, made it through. And everything I gave to you, I gave to you, I gave to you. You got it, you got it, you got it. It's coming, so are you ready? Kendrick Lamar is another artist who's yeah, singing Kendrick Lamar these kind is of too. very powerful songs. I, I welcome those kids. I welcome them. And, and, and with them being young, they're putting them out front. Mm-hmm. They'd be surprised as, at how they can change the world. But if God got us, then we gon' be all right. We have been talking with Mavis Staples. It's been an absolute honor, Mavis. Uh, Thank you. Little old sound opinions has Mavis Staples on it. Our life is complete. Now. Oh, shut so much. I'm honored to be on Sound Opinions. <laughs> if you want to hear more of our conversation with Mavis Staples, which includes her singing a song written for her by Prince, you can find it at our website, soundopinions.org. And as always, we want to hear from you. Has Mavis's music had an effect on you? Give us a call and leave a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800. Or you can connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. When we come back from a break, we'll remember the late screaming eagle of soul, Charles Bradley. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Ah! 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and we've got some new music to review. Not by my own hand. Automatic writing by Phantom Blue. Now with my own voice. Plus, it made stand on two legs. That's how bomb I get. In this age of blasting trumpets. Paradise for fools, infinite wrath, and the lowest deep below a depth. That is a little bit of a private understanding, the first track on the fourth album by Proto Martyr, Relatives in Descent. Greg, uh, you and I have been following this group uh, pretty much from the beginning when it formed in Detroit in 2010 around the incredible working-class vocalist. I, I say that because he, he sounds like the guy at the end of the bar, mm-hmm. Joe Casey. Um, you know, the debut album 2012 began to win fans in the metal underground, in the post-punk indie rock world, uh, kind of crossing genre boundaries. Two records followed. We had the band in the studio for a live performance and an interview back in 2015, around the time of the third album, The Agent Intellect. Now it has signed to the prestigious UK indie Domino Records, and we have album number four, which uh, the guitarist Greg Ahi has said uh, was inspired equally by the Raincoats and Mika Levy's orchestral compositions. Like I said, not the average post-punk noise metal band. These guys have always been very ambitious. Let's play a track, and we'll come back with our reviews. This is a song called The Chuckler from Relatives in Descent, the newest fourth album by Proto Martyr on Sound Opinions. As a bash pit on a thrift store coat I smell the sauerkraut and clothes An angry customer's face Confused cause they didn't get the way It's something they would never allow But they have to allow Because this pitiful exchange Will be the sole high point of our day Till there's no more breath in my lungs Then it really doesn't matter at all 
That is the Chuckler from Proto-Martyr, the fourth studio album, Relatives in Descent. Uh, Jim, I think this is one of the best rock bands in America right now. Uh, no holds barred on that. Uh, they keep getting better. Uh, it's, it's hard to believe because I did love the previous album quite a bit. It was one of my top records of uh, 2015. Uh, Relatives in Descent continues the trend. Greg Ahe, I think, is an incredibly underrated guitar player. Uh, he writes a lot of the music in the band, uh, but the way he his tone, agile, uh, but also kind of wild and untamed. I love the way in songs like A Private Understanding or Windsor Hum, he just sort of ambushes the song right in the middle. Mm-hmm. The tone changes, and, you know, all of a sudden that guitar jumps out of the shadows at you and really grabs you by the neck. Yeah. And, and it's wonderful. The arrangements are consistently surprising. There's a great use of dynamics in there. The rhythm section is extremely good. Uh, Scott Davidson's bass sometimes takes over those songs, a very overdriven style. Alex Leonard's drumming is also unconventional. He, you know, a, with a lot of post-punk bands, you hear this sort of big walloping sound. He's kind of more rippling and orchestral, you know, where yeah, he, he's very he, dexterous. He can be very textured. You, you in heard his that playing. at the beginning of a private understanding. Those drums are the first sound on this record and they set the tone. All three of these instrumentalists play a key role in the band. And you mentioned Joe Casey, the guy at the end of the bar ranting. <laughs> and there is a Bukowski esque quality about his writing. There's a lot of images that kind of seem to pull together uh, from different places. But Especially on the last two records, the, the, the 2015 release and now this one, I'm hearing an emotional undercurrent there. Uh, whereas the previous one was more poignant, this one has sort of a, a sense of anger about it. And, you know, amid this sort of slate gray backdrop of America and, and, and the country as it now is, it's not so much a political record, although you cannot escape the idea that ruin is just around the corner. When he talks uh, in that song about my children, well, what exactly are we passing on to our children? And it's pretty dark. You know, I think um, Up the Tower, where he's yes. ranting about uh, someone who has uh, the hatred brood within us, uh, stoking the hatred, and then and then builds to knock it down, knock it down, yeah. knock it down. There's no escaping that. I mean, you don't have to read it as an assault on the most famous tower builder in America, right. uh, but it's but easily heard that way. it's possible to do that. In that song we just played, The Chuckler, there is the trademark Casey sarcasm. I wish there was a better ending to this mm-hmm. joke. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where he sees uh, the country right now. You know, they say rock shouldn't be political. It shouldn't be, you know, funny. This album is all of those things. They address these issues without rubbing your nose in it. This is a great band at the top of its game. Uh, it's a buy it record. Yeah, I, I will agree. It's it's definitely a buy it record. And I thought, you know, look, I've loved the last three Proto Martyr records. I'm not that excited about digging into this 
one. You know, I was making that that horrible prejudging before I listened to mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I played it from the first time I was hooked. And, and I keep finding things with every subsequent listen. You know, you've used the Bukowski comparison before. You've also cited Nelson Algren mm-hmm. in terms of showing great empathy for people who, who do not get a lot of attention or respect from the rest of society. And to have that from, a, you know, a working class Detroit guy at the end of the bar in this blitzed out city struggling to find its soul to come back, right? And and he cares about people that other people don't care about. There is a beat elliptical approach to the lyrics yeah. here. They leave as much out as they tell you, and then the guitars and the drums and the bass fill in those blanks. You're right. They're one of the best rock bands in America today, so a very enthusiastic double by it. I'm a victim of loving you I'm a victim of wanting you That is the great soul singer Charles Bradley, who died at the age of 68 on September 23rd. Jim, we had just uh, highlighted him as a in late a bloomer feature segment on late bloomers, and a few days later, he's gone. It, it, yeah. It's 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 really sad. He'd had stomach cancer, was diagnosed in 2016. It it spread to his liver, and um, he was gone soon after. In fact, just days before he died, we were on site at the Goose Island Tap Room, and he was supposed to play that festival that weekend, but had to cancel all those dates just a couple of weeks before. And lo and behold, he's gone now. But he left behind an incredible legacy. Started late, as we said, late bloomer. Wasn't until 62 that he was able to make his debut album after a very difficult life moving around the country, essentially a refugee in his own country. He, mm. he really had no home for a long time. Uh, and then made three stellar albums for the uh, Daptone uh, label. Uh, his childhood hero was James Brown, but I hear a lot of Otis Redding in his tone uh, on those records, uh, the, the passion, the emotion that he had brought, especially uh, to the ballads. Um, in the, on his final album, uh, even though his original songwriting was really key uh, to his development because it was so personal, uh, there was also his ability to transform a song that you would never think he would even <laughs> knew existed, let alone want to cover. I know where you're going, and I would have never thought anybody else would cover this song. Well, he wouldn't. He he named his uh, third studio album after it. Changes the Black Sabbath song mm-hmm. from the '70s, and you're going, what is he doing covering this this heavy, iconic heavy metal ballad? Well, he made it his own in the same way that Aretha Franklin made Respect her own, or or Mavis Staples is now kind of owns the weight by the band. Yeah. Uh, he. Charles Bradley took this song over because he personalized it. He uh, reconciled with his mother. He'd been apart from his mother for quite a number of years. As I said, he was basically living on the road for many decades in his life. Finally came back to New York in the 90s, reconciled with his mother. He loved his mother, and, and she loved him, and it was great to bring that whole relationship full circle. Finally, the recognition of that, to have that in his life. And and so this song really spoke to him. It took so long to realize I can still hear her last goodbye. But now it seems fitting as a eulogy for Charles Bradley himself. Changes from Charles Bradley on Sound Opinions. I feel unhappy I feel so sad
Changes by Charles Bradley covering Black Sabbath, dead at the age of 68. What a talent. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have an exciting up-and-coming artist, an interview and a live performance from Jamila Woods. Greg, we have a few thank yous to say on the way out. Mary Gaffney and Andrew Gill helped us tape the inimitable Mavis Staples. And Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Banizak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and Iona Contreras. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. As far as Grant Hart songs, I think Actual Condition from Warehouse Songs and Stories is a great song. As is Pink turns to blue from Zen Arcade. And one thing that Grant Hart needs to get more credit for is coming up with great song titles. His titles often alone make you want to hear the song. Thanks. Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Gabriel calling from beautiful Saratoga Springs, New York, and I'm calling about your episode talking about troubled artists or artists and their bad behavior. Really interesting episode, great discussion. This is something I've thought about a lot since a lot of my favorite art and literature and music has been created by otherwise horrible people. I think that especially during their adolescence when they're spending a huge amount of time, um, 10,000 hours or whatever it is, you know, in a basement or a bedroom somewhere perfecting their craft instead of learning to be social. So I don't know that it's reasonable to expect the same mind that creates kind of blue or uh, Layla or Guernica to really be a fully functional person the rest of the time. If somebody's really able to create something great, we have to take that on its own terms and then deal with their behavior separately. So, thank you. Hey guys, this is Adam in Merrillville, Indiana, and I want to tell you I just listened to the uh, Is It the Art of the Artist? And uh, just wanted to praise you for including, it's just real nice to hear conversation like that, and I was a little bit disappointed, though, that that section of the program was so short, and uh, I'd love it if that was more of like a continuing thing, like perhaps 
you might consider coming back to that topic in the future. On that note, it was also nice to hear critical voices of color and also female, which I feel like happens too rarely on uh, y'all's show. Just want to say thanks for uh, tackling that. And man, I got so much to say about R. Kelly, but I feel like I've taken up enough of your time already. But thank you so much. Bye. Hello, my name is Michael. I'm calling from Chicago. In reference to your late Bloomers program, in the world of jazz, there's a gentleman by the name of John Coltrane. Even though he's a journeyman musician who had played with Miles Davis, he had been kicked out of Miles Davis' group in 56 when he was 30 years old for his drug habit. He kicked his drug habit and started working with a guy by the name of Thelonious Monk, another late Bloomer. After that... Coltrane came back to the Miles Davis quintet, quartet, and really started making great strides. After he was 30, that he became John Coltrane, who made such things as Giant Steps, My Favorite Things, and Love Supreme. Thanks, no more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.